0: Good morning. How are we doing this morning? All right. He is risen. If you are new to church, uh, for centuries on Easter, especially Christians have greeted one another on Easter Sunday by saying, He is risen. And if uh, someone says that to you, you respond with, He is risen indeed. So let's try it one more time. He is risen man of best news on the planet I'm so glad that you're here uh, if you are brand new with us at Redeemer maybe you are uh, for the first time coming to church or maybe you've been around a little while but uh, you're kind of coming back we would just love to connect with you honestly I would love to know who you are and answer any questions that you might have uh, and even give you some next steps if you're looking for a place uh, to belong and people to connect to and uh, life-changing truths from God's word so if that's you if you are brand new you can do one of two things or actually you could even do two of two things uh, you can text Connect to the number here on the screen and we will send you a digital uh, connect card or uh, on your way out swing by the welcome tent and some of our really nice sweet uh, welcoming welcome team will uh, connect with you and answer any questions uh, that you might have. Also, uh, if you want to get our weekly announcements, then you can text info to that same number uh, and we will get you signed up for those. All right, let me invite you if you have a Bible and I hope you do to turn to John uh, chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along. The text will be up here on the screen. Uh, I think most preachers, most pastors would probably agree with my next statement. Uh, Easter is is by far the easiest and the hardest sermon that you preach every year. Uh, It's the easiest sermon because a lot, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time uh, brainstorming and thinking through topics uh, because it just kind of lands in your lap. This is the day that the whole globe gets to celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. So it's just laid in our lap. We get to celebrate it. Plus it's an easy thing for Christians to celebrate, right? You should be able to very easily celebrate and get excited about the resurrection. Amen? Oh my gosh. Amen? Amen. <laughs> If you get more excited about the Cowboys winning a playoff game, then you do the resurrection like something has gone massively wrong. And yes, I understand um, that that would be a miracle also in and of itself. But it's the greatest event that has happened in human history. You should get excited wherever Ruben Sosa is. That's for you. I told you I'd slip a Cowboys joke in there. So it's like, it's the easiest sermon in one sense. What a thing that we get to celebrate. But it is a difficult sermon, uh, especially in the Bible, because a lot of times uh, there are are folks, and this may be you, and what's nice about uh, a setting like this is that nobody knows, like nobody knows who you are or really your story, but there are people that just kind of come to church once or twice a year, and so that's what what makes it difficult for a preacher is because we have a, a conviction that we think and we believe and we have been convinced that the message about Jesus, his death and resurrection, and just the story of the Gospel is worth reorienting your entire life around that, and so you feel a lot of pressure because i 've like i 've got thirty minutes uh, to try to convince you that what we are about to talk about, if it is not true, you can just dismiss it and move on. But if it is true, we have to completely reorient. Everything in our lives around Jesus because what he has done is that important, it's that good. And so sometimes it's difficult to try to do that because I think, uh, you know, a lot of maybe, you, maybe that's kind of your story. And like I, I've, I've been and, and I go on Christmas and I go on Easter, but I just hear kind of the same sermon every year. Uh, listen, this is a big book. There's a lot in it. And so uh, I just want to back up a little bit because on your normal Easter Easter Sunday, A lot of times you'll walk in and you'll hear the narrative of what happened on that Sunday morning. Uh, You get to walk through the story and you get to hear the what. uh, What happened when they showed up and the tomb was empty, the stone was rolled away, and they realized that Jesus had in fact done it. Uh, But I want to rewind just a couple hours and we're going to spend our time this morning looking at John chapter 19 which is Jesus on the cross on Friday because this is why I want to do this uh, for Easter this year. Because for us, for for Christians, the resurrection is is the exclamation point. And it's the exclamation point on really the sentence of Jesus's life and his mission and his death. And so without that context, the resurrection doesn't carry the weight that it should. Like you you need to have the full story uh, to be able to walk in and hear that Jesus is risen and that just gets you excited. It would be like, let's say that you're uh, in your house and you've got a group of friends and I come in and I open the door and I just barge in, I say, it's over. What do you think? You're like, I don't care. I don't even know what you're talking about. What's over? Like that's the exclamation point. If I walk in and say, we won, you'd say, well, you're not talking about the Cowboys. What are you talking about? Right? If, you just, if I come in with the exclamation and you don't know the context, sometimes it can just fall and you're like, wow, that was great. I mean, I, I, I guess it's true, but all the people around me are cheering, but I, I don't know the sentence before the exclamation. So that's what I want to do my best by the power of the Spirit of God to try to unpack for you the the life and the mission and the death of Jesus so that the resurrection is the exclamation point on that. In John chapter 19... It's, it's easy for us as we read the Bible to uh, kind of, uh, we're so far removed in time from uh, the cross and from what the, this is describing. But, but this is Jesus hanging on a cross and he's speaking his last few words. And so if you can, in your mind, if you can go there to that place with your imagination where he is just beaten half to death, blood dripping, probably a pool of blood under him, vultures circling around, uh, just completely drained almost of life, has to step up on the nails going through his ankles just to get enough breath to keep going. And that's the context behind him saying uh, some things on the cross. And so uh, we're going to look at John chapter 19, verse 28 to 30, uh, but honestly, we're just going to zoom in on three words, the, the last three words that Jesus Christ spoke on the cross, and they are unbelievably important. And so I think a lot of people, it's easy to kind of come in and hear about the resurrection and that not to change your life, because all, maybe all of you have heard is the the what, uh, and so we need to know the why behind that. So if you are in John chapter 19, or at least if you're ready to follow along, say ready. This is how John describes the last three words that came out of Jesus' mouth. He says, after this, uh, really talking about all the events that had led up that day and those few hours on the cross and uh, probably even reaching back a little further to uh, the betrayal and the last many hours of Jesus' life. After all these things, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, he said, and you have to imagine him probably gasping, dehydrated beyond almost to death, the cotton mouth, and he lifts up on the nails to say, I thirst, because he's thirsty. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. And so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it up to his mouth. And when Jesus had received, he drank a little bit of that off of the sponge. When he had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And his eyes closed, and he was dead. He says, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. I, I really love to-do lists. I love my legal pad. When I get to the office first thing in the morning, I get so excited that I just write things on my list that I've already done so that I can cross them off. I don't know if any of you are like that. Literally, I'll get to my office uh, and I'll sit down and I'll pull out my legal pad and I'll grab my pen and I'll write on there, Fine legal pad check, find pin, check, go to the office, check. I will have done absolutely nothing and I've got 17 things on my list checked off because I just like, I like putting things down and I like the satisfaction of marking things off but there's nothing quite as satisfying as when you have a list and you get to the bottom and you mark the last thing off, right? Some of you are like, I've never experienced that. My list keeps growing. Now, when we go on a vacation, if we're taking a family trip, uh, normally uh, I'll think through some big things that we have to accomplish, and I'll write down uh, on my uh, either notepad or in my phone, on my memos, uh, just the things that I have to accomplish. Some of those are things at work. Uh, Some of those are uh, helping Hannah with clothes or laundry or maybe taking care of the goats, making sure everything is taken care of. And I'll, I'll literally have this list and it feels so good when I get to the last one and I get to mark it off and I'm like, the list is finished. Let's pack up and go. Uh, The last few months for me have been very, very uh, difficult, just a busy season for us. Uh, I'm just like most of you. Our life goes in seasons, uh, and the season from Christmas to Easter, especially this year, has been a lot. So I wrote a list down of things just that I had to accomplish and needed to get done. And you know what the last thing on my list was um, before we get a bit of a break? to preach three Easter sermons. And literally, I will mark that off in a few hours and I will be able to rest. I'm going, my, my wife is up here amening and cheering because she knows like, the kids can watch as much TV as they want because we're taking a long nap, uh, like I'll wake up on Wednesday, right? Because like, it, w- once you finally finish the list and you cross the last thing off, then you can finally rest, right? There, there's something about this to-do list, but Jesus had his own version of a, to, of a to-do list. God gave him a list of things, both prophecies that he had to fulfill and a mission that Jesus had to accomplish. And if you take a little creative license, you can kind of imagine Jesus working his way through his life, just slowly checking things off, uh, fulfilling the prophecies and accomplishing the mission. Uh, and so maybe he gets, uh, you know, to where uh, he's, he's born. And he's, well, you know, God the, God the Father sent me to be born, become a human, check. He had to be born in Bethlehem. He had to uh, come into the human race through the, the, the Jewish nation and be born uh, not just as a Jew, but in the tribe of Judah. And he checked that off the list. And as the scriptures talk about, he had to flee to Egypt as a refugee. Some of y'all know the, 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 the prophecies in the Old Testament that not only said that the Messiah you will recognize him because he'll be born in a little hick town, Bethlehem, but he'll be called out of Egypt. And some people are like, how can he be both? And yet he's born in Bethlehem. And then when King Herod is trying to murder all of the babies, uh, his dad Joseph takes the family and they flee as refugees to Egypt to fulfill the prophecy. Maybe on the way back, Jesus checks that off the list. He has to teach people about the kingdom of God, and after much teaching and many parables explaining to people the realities of the kingdom, he can check that off the list. Uh, He was sent to perform miracles and signs and wonders so that there would be no doubt who he is and what he is able to accomplish. After signs and miracles and wonders, he was able to say, check He was tasked to raise up some disciples and to train them and to equip them to lead the the movement of the church or this movement of Jesus after his ascension. And he spent three and a half years training and developing uh, the disciples to do that. So towards the end of his ministry, he could say, check. Uh, The Bible says that he had to be tempted to sin in every single way that you have ever been tempted or will ever be tempted. So he slowly and surely he would be tempted to be greedy And he would not. He would be tempted to be selfish. He would be tempted with lust. He would be tempted with lying. He would slowly and surely be tempted with every sin that there is so that he might say, check. He had to effectually live a perfect life and a holy and a sinless life, and he gets towards the end of his life, and he can check that off. But then the last week of his life, which we talked about last Sunday, uh, the triumphal intro where he, he, he comes into Jerusalem for the last seven days of his life, and he is riding a donkey, even that's fulfillment of prophecy, riding a donkey into Jerusalem, check, and then slowly and surely, it, it's almost like he's just checking off all the last-minute things. And, and so that last week, it, it betrayed by a close friend, check, condemned as though he were guilty by a judge, check. He had to be mocked, beaten, scourged, spit upon, check. His hands and his feet had to be pierced when they drive the nails through his ankles and through his wrists. I'm sure in his mind he's checking those things off the list. He had to endure shame, not just just to be treated as though he were guilty, but to be publicly shamed, stripped down naked, pinned up on a cross with his alleged sins over his head, check. He had to suffer as a sinner, as though he was guilty, even though he was not, check. He had to satisfy God's demand of justice. I don't know that this gets talked about enough, but God is a just God, and we like that because we want evil to be dealt with We want evil to be punished. That's what it means to be just. So if God is just, he has to exact punishment on sin and on evil. Like the United States has a department of justice. It doesn't dole out grace and mercy. That's not its job, right? If it it let people off, it would be a horrible department of justice. God is just. And so Jesus met his demands so that the justice demands of God were met, and yet we get mercy and grace, and so God's full character is expressed. And then ultimately, Jesus would offer his perfect, sinless life on a cross in your place. Check. Literally, he had gone through the entire list that he had been given to accomplish from the Father. And then he raises himself up, and he says what? It is what? Finished. Done. 100%. He didn't lift up and say, I got 95%. That's good enough. I'll let them finish out the rest. He didn't give up. He didn't give in. He didn't give up the ghost until he was completely done. Those three words are so incredibly important. It is... Finished. Here's the problem with people. Do I know the problem with people? There's a lot of them, uh, and I am one. I am a people. Uh, I struggle with grammar sometimes. Uh, one, one of the main problems with people is that we just, we keep trying to do something that has already been done. That, that, that's the problem with, with, with especially religion in the bad sense, that we try to find out ways that we can do something to justify ourselves, to justify ourselves before others, and especially we probably wouldn't even put these terms to it, but to justify ourselves before God, we normally try to use our own to-do list. Here, look what I've done. Look what I haven't done. Look what I've crossed off. We're trying to do something that has already been done. Jesus said it is finished. And, And that statement... It reveals the difference between Jesus and every other religion, which in some form or fashion, they fit into the same category. And I'll use that term, religion. Okay, I know there's like, you know, you're just describing world religions. That's not what I'm talking about. But like the the biblical sense of religion is a negative thing most of the time. Uh, meaning that th- this is man's attempt to try to work through our to-do list and present it to God and say, Here, you, you should accept me because here's here's my to-do list and here's what I've done. And so that just works itself out in many different ways. But it's all, it's all the same thing. It's all religion trying to do something that has already been done. I'll give you a few options of just how kind of the world has Uh, different religions that would just present to you basically different to-do lists. Um, So uh, we can probably all admit that uh, at the end of these, it's just simply not good news. Uh, If karma is true, that you get what you deserve, that what goes around comes around, can we agree that's probably not good news unless you're perfect and sinless? I don't want everything I've done to come back around to me. That's that's not good news. Um, Reincarnation, just the idea that if you just don't nail it in this life, then you're going to be reincarnated somewhere down the chain, and you're going to get to try again. So if you don't just crush it, nail it perfect, you're coming back as a frog or something, you know? Or, Or if you're just the worst of the worst, you're coming back as a cat satan incarnate, you know? And then you got to work yourself up from that somehow. Like just this idea that it's just that's not good news. Be perfect or you're coming back somewhere down the food chain. Um Atheism, that there is no God, um, that because there is no God, there therefore can be no morality. There is no definition of good or bad. It's all just subjective. So therefore, there is no such thing as suffering. There is no such thing as injustice because for any of that to to exist, there has to be a decider of of moral law and good and bad. And it's just utterly hopeless and good grief. If that's true, boo, that's bad news. And then you've got just the the category of good advice, which many times, and you need to know this, many, many times, the the good news category gets masqueraded as Christianity, but it comes to you and says here, uh, if if you want to be uh, forgiven, if you want to be saved, I got you a to-do list. Here's some things you need to do. Here's some good advice for how you should live your life. And I would make the case that good advice is bad news. You should exercise, or you should work out. We're like, we know, we know what to do. We just have a hard time doing it, maybe. So it's like, like the, the good advice isn't helpful if 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 the sin and our problem runs so deep as to in our nature. Good advice is really really bad news if we can't change ourselves, if we can't change our own hearts. I love so so that's like this this category of. Of bad news and why, when Jesus says it is finished, it is so revolutionary. A few hundred years ago, there was a man named John Bunyan. Many of y'all uh, probably know him because he authored Pilgrim's Progress, uh, but he wrote a little poem that I recite in my head often um, that talks about the difference in religion and the good news of it is finished. He said, Run, John, run, the law commands. But it gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings because it bids us fly and it gives us wings. Good news is not good news if we can't, down to our nature, change ourselves. So, why is it such good news that Jesus says it is finished? There was a term uh, in uh, the first century that was a Roman term, mainly uh, about the fr- uh, from the military, um, uh, called Evangelion. It's a fun one to say. Evangelion, and it basically translates gospel or good news. And this was a military term because this is what would take place. Uh, If you were in a Roman-occupied city and someone from the outside came to attack and to uh, sack the city and to take away the the women and the children and all the goods, then they would would send out the army, send out the infantry, close the doors, and then all the, the civilians would just wait. You would wait for news, and you didn't know if you were getting good news or bad news. No news was generally bad news, because no news means there's nobody to come back. Uh, but they had a phrase where if, 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 if the army won the battle, then they would send their fastest rider to come back, and they would open up the gates, and he would come riding in, and he would just be screaming, Evangelion, 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 which means what? Good news. We won. It's over. And, and, and Jesus stole that term. He hijacked that term, as did Paul and Peter and the rest of the writer's word. Now, that, like that word belongs to Jesus. The, the, the word evangelion, the word gospel, the word good news that describes the sum total package of Jesus' life and his work and his ministry, that it's good news. Well, Because like the writer that would come in, he would say, good news, that means it's over. That that just means all there is now is is celebration. There's nothing left to do. So when Jesus shows up on the scene and says, "Uh, I've got good news, that's good news for you because Jesus has done everything, everything that needs to happen in order for you to be reconciled back to God, for God to be at the center of your life, and then that flows out into everything that brings true peace and joy and fulfillment. All of that has already been accomplished. Jesus didn't show up with good advice. He didn't show up giving you a to-do list saying, I hope you crush it. Hope you nail it. He showed up with a to-done list. I know that's bad grammar, but that's good theology. He'd, 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 let me come back to my original point. Most of us, in one way or another, we're trying to do something that's already been done. We're trying to earn our way to God. Jesus has already done that. We're trying to prove that we're righteous. Jesus has already done that. And if we show up to God with our to-do list, if you've been around any portion of time, you know that that terminates in only one of two places, and neither one of them are good, pride or despair. If you look at your list, like, you know what? I'm a decent person. I haven't murdered anybody all week, and I've thought about it. Like, no, you look at your list, you're like, no, I think I'm a pretty moral person. I really do. I mean, I'm, I'm way above average, and then you look at your list, and you, tr- you, you justify, you're like, God, I'm a Christian because look at what I've done, look at what I haven't done, and then all of a sudden, that sets us up in a, in a prideful manner, but some of you, maybe, you look at your list, you're like, mine stinks. It's, it's very short. The other side of the list of things I shouldn't do, it's very long, and so I, I don't want God to see my list because it's embarrassing. And, and it's like so many people, like I can't, I, can't, I can't come to God. I can't come to Jesus. I can't be accepted because have you, have you seen how pathetic my list is? Like our list, it, it, there's only two bad ways that it ends. So Jesus doesn't want your list. Like that's the deal. When he says it is finished, he has a list. He has accomplished everything done, everything fulfilled, everything. And he said it is finished. So you don't need your list whether it's good or bad you need him and his list. That's why that's why it's called the gospel that there's nothing left to do. And the resurrection is the exclamation point on that proving that he in fact tells the truth. When he says it is finished that's what he means. So for the Christian in the room, maybe you've been a Christian for 50 years. What an incredible reminder. We need to be reminded all the time that it's finished. We don't need to earn our way back. When we mess up, there's grace every time. Our sin does not affect the way God sees us because it was never in our hands to begin with. It's finished. And if you're not a Christian, you need to know that the only way forward for you to be truly reconciled with the God who made you is by embracing Jesus It's finished. What does that mean? It means you don't need to go see a priest and confess your sins to the priest because Jesus is the great high priest. It's finished. He's the one. He, He ever lives to intercede for us. It means you don't need to be looking for a new prophet with a new word. Jesus is the prophet to end all prophets. It's finished. It means, listen, you don't have to do good works to do anything to belong to God, Jesus did the works, it is finished. Some people feel like they need to get well before they go see the great physician. It's not true, he's a good physician. He's, 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 he's done what he said he could do. You don't need to make a sacrifice, you don't need to slaughter a lamb anymore, why? Because Jesus is the sacrifice, he is the lamb who was slaughtered on a cross, it's finished. You don't need to come to Jesus with, with your righteousness and your good deeds He's provided enough. It's finished. You don't need to resist temptation. You're going to fail just like I'm going to fail. Jesus resisted temptation. It's finished. You don't have to live in condemnation. Romans 8.1 is clear about that. Why? Because he was condemned for you. It is finished. You don't have to live in shame. Why? He was publicly shamed for you. It is finished. You don't need to show up with your hands full, with your list, presenting it to God but you do need to show up with your hands completely and absolutely empty. And that's hard. That's so hard for humanity because we want to, to chip in. We want to say, well, Jesus, he, I mean, he crushed it with that first 95%, but here's, I want to help. Here's my, nope, you got to come empty. Why? It's finished. Jesus pays all the bill or he pays none of the bill. In Acts chapter 2, which I would have to go back and look at my notes. I probably have either preached this or referenced this every Easter for the last eight years here. Because it's Peter preaching the first Easter sermon. And how can you improve upon that? He's preaching a few weeks after the resurrection, and I'm not going to share with you the whole sermon. I'll, I'll give you a clip. It's about Jesus. He talks about Jesus being the Son of God in the flesh, living a perfect life. We put him to death, uh, and then he rose from the dead to prove who he, he was, who he said he was. But, so I'm not going to unpack the whole sermon, but I want to read a little bit because I, I want you to catch, especially on Easter, on Easter for us, I want you to catch the response of the people that were there that heard the first Easter sermon. Okay, Acts chapter 2, you can read along on the screen. This is towards the end of this, uh, this sermon that Peter's preaching to thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem a few weeks after the resurrection. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. It's like th- there's no doubt Jesus has proven something that God has made him both Lord and Christ. I wish I had time to unpack this. That was the sermon, honestly, last year on Easter. That The resurrection proved Jesus not only saves people, he's the boss. That's what it means. He's both Lord and Christ. The, excuse me. <clears throat> this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, watch the crowd and see how they responded to this message. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do and that has got to be the only correct response to the easter message like th- 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 that's why this becomes such a difficult thing because like if you can if we if we can walk away just kind of like giving a nod to jesus who came back to life after being crucified like, like, that's, a, that's a, a disorienting and a reorienting truth where they realize, oh, my goodness, okay, if that is not true, and who cares, we're wasting our time. If it is true, that changes everything. They didn't say, that's a great sermon, Peter. You did so good. The people were so nice at the welcome tent. Thanks for the free coffee. I'll see you next year, right? Because some news of this magnitude, you have to completely reject it or completely reorient your life around it. They said, what do we do? If that's true, we got to do something. That's not just a sermon that you hear and walk away. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And Peter is not saying for those who are geographically far off. He's not saying those who were in Egypt and couldn't make the trek. He's saying those who are spiritually far off, which maybe that's you. Maybe there's so much stuff in your life, things that you've done, said, watched, whatever, where you have brought that in. And you just feel like, yeah, I don't know. People are cheering about the resurrection, but I got a pretty messy life and messy past. That's what the cross is for. Jesus is more powerful than your sin, I guarantee it. That's why Peter says, for all who are far off. Do you remember the Alamo? You should, especially if you're from Texas. Um, When I went to college, I I don't know why I thought this, but I, I, I realized that everybody in every state did not have to take Texas history, and I thought, what a shame. George W. could have done better than that when he was in office. He could have made it mandatory, right? So I think to this day, it just, it should be mandatory. Everybody takes Texas history. Well, in Texas history, uh, you learn about the Alamo and you're supposed to remember it. Okay, remember the Alamo, uh, but we all know the story, whether it happened or not, who knows, but it works for illustration, so we'll go with it. Um, William Barrett Travis towards the end where they realized, okay, guys, we're here for good. There's no getting out. And there was like one last little moment where they could retreat, but it's like, it's bad. And so y'all, y'all know the story, right? He takes out his sword allegedly and he draws the line in the sand. Y'all remember this? Where he draws the line, it, it's, that's important. Because he doesn't get in the middle of the crowd of all these, these, these men and, and draw the line. He draws the line where everyone is on one side of the line. Okay? Everyone starts in the same place. And he invites them, if they're willing to endure and sacrifice, to purposefully step over. Okay? That's, that's my analogy for the message of Jesus. Like, like Jesus draws a line in the sand, and I don't know if you know this or not, but all of humanity begins on one side. I mean, the, the Bible is incredibly clear that we are guilty, we're sinful. It's not just what we do, it's who we are. That's what causes all the problems in our life is there's something wrong in our heart. Like he draws the line and we're, I mean, the Bible goes so far as to say we're enemies of God, which is not a good thing. But then there's an invitation with the message of Jesus to cross over, but you have to do something to cross over. And every other religion says, here is your to-do list. So, like, they heard that message that day, like, okay, if Jesus was God and we murdered God and he's back, we need to do something, we, we need to cross over and Peter says, man, what a good, what a, that's the best question I've ever heard. Repent. That's what he says. He actually, he says, repent and be baptized. Uh, in almost every other place in the New Testament where somebody either asks that question or is just given the response to the gospel, it's this. It's repent and believe almost every other time, including Jesus In fact, in in Mark chapter 1, I'll read this to you, Uh, when Jesus began his his teaching and his preaching ministry, John the Baptist had already been preaching and talking about the kingdom, but then uh, Jesus steps up onto the scene and he says this, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the evangelion of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the good news. Most every other time when we're called to, to, to respond, it's repent and believe. And, and that's like, it, it's, it's kind of one, one action, but it does two different things. Uh, repent is a word that means to turn or uh, an about face, 180 degree shift. And in and, and, and doing that, you're doing two things. You're repenting. You're turning from your sin and from your to-do list, and you're turning towards Christ. It has to be turning from something, turning to something, turning from sin and self as savior to turning towards faith in Jesus and his to-do list. Have you done that? Because if you haven't, you're standing on one side maybe looking over on the other but like Peter said like something's got to happen and it's not what you do it's what you believe you have to repent and believe but then he adds baptism Peter throws that in and this is one of the only places that that's mentioned and I think it's very clear that Peter's not saying that you need to be baptized to be saved because if like like water dunking you in water does not clean the sin away right <laughs> We know this, that the sin runs much deeper than that. If that were the case, if, we, if you could just be safe and be saved by the water, we would hose you all down when you came in, just like, just to be safe, right? I don't think even, like, you do that here, you're going to get Midland water? Or you're going to come out with something you can't wash off, right? Like, like that's not what he's not saying. If you're going to go to hell, I mean, the thief on the cross debunks that, right? But what is he saying? Why is it so important to Peter that he includes that in their response? And it's, here's my case. It's not that baptism saves you. It's that baptism tells you the story of the one who saves you. What is baptism? It's a picture that Jesus went into a grave, took upon our sin, took it into a grave, and came back to life. And when you're baptized, Peter's like, listen, you need this so deeply ingrained that you belong to Jesus. His death is yours. His resurrection is yours. You are publicly identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Baptism is so incredibly important because of the gospel that it displays. So that's my, that's my question for you. Jesus draws the line in the sand. We all start on one side. The only way you cross over is repentance and faith. Have you truly responded to the message of Jesus? Turn from your sin that you can't save yourself. Trusted in Christ that his death was in your place for your sins. And he will forgive you once and for all. Why? Because it's finished. It's finished. Let's pray together. Jesus, what an incredible statement, what what an incredible cosmic mic drop that was, that you finished everything that would be required for us to be rescued and brought back to God, our maker. Jesus, I pray that this resurrection morning, that you would so fill our hearts with your love and with your power, God, that we would sing, that we would worship, that we would uh, be grateful, really, for who you are, for what you have done not just on the planet, but for us personally. God, I pray that you would call someone in this room, call a lot of people in this room to become Christians, that you would help them to set their own to-do list aside and to embrace yours on their behalf. We thank you for a message that is worth telling. We love you, Jesus. We pray to you because you are, in fact, alive and well. And I pray this, Jesus, through your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.